everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. Today we're continuing looking at the book of Genesis. We're looking at Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 today. Another part of Genesis which perhaps we are not that familiar with and it contains some uh, difficult bits with the sons of God and the Nephilim. So certainly not one of the easier parts of Genesis to interpret but I hope that it says something to us today and will help us to hear what God has to say to us. Uh, this is the only thing that's on the podcast and on YouTube this week uh, because of half term. Um, but there will be back next week the Firm Foundations course as we continue thinking about uh, original sin. And we're looking at what that is next week. But all of the rest of the Firm Foundations course so far is up on YouTube. And there is a, a weekly live stream Bible study and all of the archive of those is available to watch if you're interested. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, then you're able to do that via the page below. Uh, it's possible to pray and, uh, and to give as well. And I really do appreciate all of those things. So thank you so much, everyone. And I hope that you enjoy. God bless. Before getting into the sermon, I just need to apologise because I forgot to press the record button for about the first two minutes of the sermon. So let me just recap for you before getting into uh, the rest of the sermon, what I said, and just to help you kind of bring you up to speed to where the sermon, uh, the recording actually begins. So um, we're looking at Genesis chapter 6, uh, 1 to 8, and thinking about how in the past couple of weeks we've been thinking about how sin began and then uh, Genesis chapter 4 last week was thinking about how evil spread and this week we're thinking about how bad it got and yet how there is still hope. So Genesis chapter 6 starts out with uh, talking about the sons of God, how the sons of God went to the, the daughters of humans, saw that they were beautiful and uh, and had children with them, married them. Now who were the sons of God? That's uh, one thing which is quite difficult to answer. We don't really know. I would suggest that this is actually the traditional interpretation is the correct one, which is that these were angelic beings of some kind. The reason I think that is for two reasons. Firstly, because uh, sons of God is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to refer to angelic beings. For example, Job chapter 1 verse 6, if you look in, in that verse, uh, it mentions that the, uh, the angels were in the presence of God. And if you look at the footnote in the NIV version of the Bible, it says sons of God. And that is uh, one place where sons of God actually means angels. Also, if you look in the New Testament, this is the second reason, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 uh, Peter says that if God did not even spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell. And then he goes on to talk about Noah and the flood, which seems to me that he is exactly talking about this passage, Genesis chapter 6. So it, it seems that there is precedent here for these to be talking, for uh, Genesis 6 to be talking about angelic beings. And so what it seems was happening was that the angelic beings were intermarrying with human women. And this was, uh, would have been a violation of the way that God made the world in Genesis chapter 1, where it says he made everything according to its kind. And so this was a violation of that. Why was it that these human beings were intermarrying with these angelic beings? I would say perhaps it is because they wanted to live forever because they wanted to achieve immortality or everlasting life without 
actually God without turning to him and without the righteousness that only God can give. So they were trying to achieve what uh, what God originally gave in the Garden of Eden, but without God once they've been expelled from the garden. So it was a deeply wrong and sinful thing. And this is why the punishment that God brings about in verse 3 kind of makes sense. And this is where the recording picks up. So once again, I do apologise for that, and I hope that the rest of the, the sermon makes sense. So it seems to me that there is a... Um, it makes sense that the punishment kind of fits the crime, if you like, saying, well, they're trying to achieve eternal life without God. And therefore, God says, well, actually, no, I'm not going to have that. There's going to be a limit to what, uh, to what um, I will put up with. And so he says, no, their, their years are going to be 120. Their days will be 120 years. And it, it seems that this is what happens um, after this point in Genesis, after about Jacob, no one lives beyond 120 years. It, it, it happens gradually. It doesn't, it's not immediate after this. Not like that. But it does happen that no one in, you know, after about to the time of Jacob lives longer than that. So I think, you know, this is, this is the punishment fitting the crime that mankind were trying to achieve this sort of eternal life without God. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to limit the, the, the length of a human lifespan. And I think it, it, it says a lot, doesn't it, that you know, life does come from the spirit, not from just you know, eating well and diet and, and exercise and, and those things. You know, but actually life comes from the spirit, which is what it says elsewhere in, um, in the Bible. For example, Psalm 104 uh, verse 30, talk, talk, talking about the animals, but it says, uh, when you send this, uh, your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Talking about, you know, the, the created order, it's the spirit of God which gives life. And you think back to even Genesis chapter 2, about how, you know, God took the man, breathed life into him, and he became a living being. So I think we see that, that life actually comes from God. And that that's what human beings were trying to achieve without God. And God says, no, I, I, I am the one who gives life. So then we have this verse here, verse 4, uh, saying the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Um, they... Uh, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now, what is this going on about here? Again, this is one of two places in the Bible where the Nephilim are mentioned. The other place is in Numbers chapter 13, uh, verse 33. Let me just quickly read that verse to you as well. Numbers 13, verse 33, which says... Uh, we saw, that, so this is when the, you know, the, um, they were spying, as it were, on um, the land of Canaan, the promised land that God was bringing them into. And they were reporting back as to what they saw. And they said, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. 
so it's talking about uh, they seem to be these kind of giants, if you like. And perhaps that was what, what happened. Uh, perhaps that was the descendants of the, the unions of these kind of angelic beings with the daughters of, uh, of, of the human beings. It's all very puzzling. But it seems to be that one way or the other, mankind were trying to do something which God had forbidden, and the angelic beings, in fact. And that's the real point of all of this, I think. That whatever the, the, the reality is about the Nephilim and about the sons of God and, and so on, there was something very deeply wrong about it. And that's what we're being told. And so this is why it says there in verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So that God saw the extent of evil. And I think we're supposed to see from what happened there, the extent of evil, that even crossing the boundaries between heaven and earth, as it were, between you know, the boundaries between human beings and these angelic beings was crossed. That was a line that should never have been crossed. And so God saw how great that wickedness had become. And he said it... it um, it's in contrast, actually. I just just um, noticed there that um, verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. Contrast to how, verse 2, The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. So it's, it's again, this God seeing things differently. And um, that's something that we need to learn, is actually we need to learn to see things in the way that God does. Um, and so the extent, the, the evil... It said every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So this evil, it just touched everything. Every, every part of the human heart had been corrupted somehow. You know, if you think about what Paul says, actually, in, in Romans, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's, it's in every, every part of the human heart, isn't it? Now, that's what sin does. It, it corrupts. And it, it, it means that everything about us is in some way corrupted by sin. That doesn't mean that we are all as bad as it's possible to be, but that it's, it's spread everywhere. You think about, you know, like a, a, a bit of yeast in, a, a, in dough. You know, it works its way through the whole thing, doesn't it? Well, you think about adding a little drop of poison to a glass of water. Now, just one drop of poison in a glass of water and it will make the whole thing poisonous. And that's what sin does. It just, it touches and corrupts everything. And that's what had happened. And that's what happened here. And it says there in verse 6, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, some people look at that and think, oh, well, there you go, you see. God changes his mind. God is someone who, um, who makes mistakes, you might think, having read that. And of course, we know from elsewhere in the Bible that God doesn't make mistakes. And I think this is another example of, it seems to be, in the, particularly in the Old Testament, that the, the authors of the, the Bible putting things in a way that we can understand. So rather than, it's not the case that God made human beings and then thought, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. No, that's, that's, not, that's not how it was. 
actually it's just putting things in a way that we can understand knowing that actually that it was a terrible thing that happened and that we are supposed to feel that that terrible thing even if in some um, in some sense it is God's plan as we know that God does plan so how does God respond he says there in verse 7 I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them now this is setting up what's happening in the the next part that we're going to look at with uh, with Noah and the flood and I think you know this 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 judgment of God it's it's almost a kindness isn't it you know thinking that if things are this bad in the human race then life is not really worth living if it really is the case that you know, everyone has turned to evil and nobody looks out for the good of, of another then what kind of life is that actually it's better not to live really is it isn't it if there is no love at all for for one another so I think it was actually out of a kindness in, in a sense uh, from God but there is hope and it says verse 8 Noah found favor but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord so there was one there was one who found favor and we saw that actually at the end of chapter 5 I don't think we actually looked, we read this verse last week we sort of skimmed over that chapter but it's uh, uh, chapter 5 verses 28 onwards when Lamech had lived 182 years he had a son he named him Noah and said he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord had cursed um, so Noah it said would be the the comfort and that's what it turned out but we won't look at Noah this week we're going to come on to that so what can we learn from this passage it's only a short passage and it's, I know it's got some puzzling things in there and things which we maybe, I guess, push at the limits of our understanding. And Genesis is like this, you know, it, it does kind of push us to the limits of what we can know because no one was there, none, none of us here were actually there. We can, can't go back in a time machine and look at what happened. So we can't see, but I think there are some things that we can draw from this and that we can learn and remember for today that is the first thing is that when we turn from God and uh, you know, we as a humanity as, as a human race turn from God there are no depths to which we will not sink when we turn away from God there are no depths of sin to which we will not go and that's a very sobering thought but it's it's we just need to take a glance through history don't you to, to see that happening you think how is it that some regimes could you know put millions of people in concentration camps and in um, gas chambers and so on how could they do that and and so many other wicked things which we as a human race have done how can we do that how is it I was just reading in um, uh, the news there's going to be a show with a Prue Leith and her son uh, Danny Kruger who's an MP I didn't know he was her son but um, yeah but they're going around um, Canada and the US places where assisted dying is legal but they were saying that in Canada they're killing about 20 or 30 people every day at the moment 
and you can be you can go in for assisted suicide if you're poor you know that that, that could be a reason not just for terminal illnesses but if you just don't feel happy and it's it's incredible that we in this country some people are advocating for this but you think that people people just do not realize and this is when we turn away from god this is what happens we're, we're killing um, over 200,000 unborn babies a year in this country. And, and no one mats an eyelid. The wickedness of the human race is what happens when we turn away from the Lord, the one who gives goodness. And this is something which I think is important to say, you know, we mustn't be shocked at what's happening, like something strange is kind of happening, because it follows us the night, the day, doesn't it? Now, it, through the 20th century, in the Western world, by and large, we turned away from God as a society. And now look what has happened. That's exactly what, what we've ended up with, hasn't it? And I think, sadly, you know, I know I mentioned last week what was happening in the Church of England. Um, and um, if you don't know about all of that, get me later. But um, I think it's the Church of England, I think, has begun to turn away from God. And again look what has happened it's it's that following is the consequences aren't it you turn away from god and then evil comes in that's just what happens the second thing is i think people will try to find happiness and find immortality anywhere if they can't find it in god they will look to other places and i think these days people might be prepared to look to the, the government quite a lot you know, so often we want the government to do everything. Um, we want to, oh, solve my health problems, solve my, you know, this, that and the other. And some of those things are good things, but it, it can become an idol. And I think sadly for a lot of people, that has been uh, one of the things which has been put there in God's place. Another thing which is coming around the corner is uh, transhumanism, you know, augmenting ourselves with sort of... Um, machines and with technology um, which is again trying to solve all of our problems with technology rather than uh, with God so what is God's response it says he cannot but judge and punish evil now, otherwise he wouldn't be God if he just allowed it to, to go ahead he he would not be God if he was not just and it would mean life was not worth living as well would it now, if actually things were as bad as they could be, who would want to live in that kind of a world? No one would want to live in that kind of a world. We need to have some kind of baseline. We need to have some love in the world at least. Otherwise, it will not be worth living. So the only solution to these problems, and this is something which we'll see more and more. Of course, as we come through the Bible, we see that. The only solution is to walk with God, to seek his ways, and ultimately to look to Jesus. That's the thing, isn't it? That actually it's when we look to him, then we can be forgiven for our sins and we can have a, a new heart given to us where we do want to, to seek the Lord, where we do want to seek his ways of love and, and of righteousness. But the solution to that is not in governments or in medicine or in transhumanism or technology or any of those things. As interesting as, as they may be, and they have their place, I'm sure. But actually, Jesus is the solution to all of our, all of our problems.
And I just wanted to finish by reading a psalm, actually, another psalm. This is um, Psalm 14, which talks about, which talks about uh, the depth of wickedness in the human race, but actually how the Lord is a refuge even in those times. This is what it says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. To all these evildoers know nothing. They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor. But the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And I just thought about that and, and thought, you know, that seeing when we turn away from the Lord, this is what happens. But it says, uh, God is present in the company of the righteous. And that is our hope as a church, that we trust that even in the dark world, that we know that God is present. God is present through Jesus Christ with us in our lives and among us as a church. And he is our hope. And so we need to look to him as the solution and proclaim him as the solution to all the, the darkness in our world. And there is much of it at the moment, isn't there? And so let's take a moment to pray as we come to a close. Heavenly Father, we recognise the darkness in the world um, all through the ages, Lord. We recognise that when mankind turn away from you, that evil is the result. And we pray, Heavenly Father, uh, well, we pray for ourselves that you would help us to walk with you, closer with you, day by day. And we pray that you would help us to trust more and more in Jesus through every day of our lives. And we pray that many people in our, uh, our parish, our town, our society, would see the need to turn to you and uh, walk with you, that you may bring your ways of righteousness and justice and love to our world once more, and that uh, you would bring healing where there are wounds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.